This is the Learning Capacity Podcast. A warm welcome to you. You're with Colin Klupik. This podcast is brought to you by LearnFast Australia, improving student learning with neuroscience programs since 1999. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Martha Burns, Director of Neuroscience Education at Scientific Learning Corporation, about whether or not you can have a maths brain. Most of us seem to have some command over language, but things change quickly when we start to talk about maths. Why is that? Dr. Burns, welcome to the conversation. Thank you, Colin. Nice to be here. Uh, It's great to be talking with you again. Uh, First of all, what I'd like to ask you is a question that we have about the maths brain, or I guess in America you call it the math brain. Is that right? Yes. We use the plural um, mathematics. So we'll say mathematics and make it plural, and then we use the term math. But maths is fine. We can use that. Maths is okay. Great. That's good. Well, what I wanted to ask or start by asking you was that you could say that just about everybody has the ability to talk and communicate which indicates a level of competency with language. But when it comes to math or maths, many would say, oh, look, I just can't do this or it's not my thing. Is there such thing as the maths brain? And do some have it while some don't? Yes, that, there, there are definitely people that are much better at maths than others. Um, but there's a researcher who's known for his research on this. His name is Stanislas Dehaene. Um, and he's Scandinavian, and he believes that maths begin as what he calls the number sense. So if you think about a young child, um, if you think about language and you think about a young child learning to talk, uh, they're learning names and they're pointing to things and they're starting to put sentences together for grammar, and and that's fairly universal. And Stanislas Dehaene feels that the number sense is also fairly universal, so um, children will count with their fingers. They will, some of the early books that children read, like the three bears are all about things like size, big bear and little bear. And, and those kinds of dimensions, if you think about the dimension of near and far or the concept of more, one of the first words a child gets is more, give me more. So the number sense itself is probably innate, but when you get into especially higher mathematics, algebra, uh, learning how to use math to solve problems you've never seen before, there, there definitely is an aptitude for that that's different than the aptitude for language. And it does involve different parts of the brain. It also shares parts of the brain with language because a lot of math words like more and less and far and near and big and small um, actually are vocabulary that we use as well. So, but math also involves time and math involves space in a way that language doesn't. So, uh, there are, there are capacities that are very specific to maths. Okay. So if I can just summarize that there is an, uh, an innate ability for language, but also for maths, but, but less so. Well, I don't know if I would say less so. I would say it's not as well-developed, so it's sophisticated, yeah. Okay, so when when you say that it's not as well-developed, what's causing that? 
Is there, is there a cause for that or is that just a conditioning thing or is that just a normal human development thing? That's a really good question. Um, people who study language, linguists, believe that, we have, that human beings have a language acquisition device so that we have this symbolic system of communicating that is very sophisticated and that it's relatively innate in all of us. I think most people would feel that higher level mathematics is not innate. It has to be taught and it has to be taught in a formal way and we're still learning about mathematics whereas language I think we understand fairly well. So so mathematics is just more complex and involves a lot more uh, high level thinking skills and it is it is as a complex symbolic skill, much more complicated, I think, than language. So I just want to come back to your comment before about uh, a child already knows the concept of more and less because they say, give me more. Uh, Children very rarely say, give me less. Um, That's true. And uh, I'm just wondering, is that an opportunity for parents to just dive in really early there and see the relationship and say, oh, you want more? And then perhaps you know, put two or three biscuits down on the on the bench and say three biscuits is more than one biscuit, Not and not say something like three minus two is one, um, but just to visually uh, describe or demonstrate that concept, would that help? I think it would help, and I think we often don't do that. We spend a lot of time with our children on language, but we don't spend a lot of time with them on, you know, number lines, and this pile has more than this pile, and... Uh, how many do you need to make this pile as big as this pile? That's all number sense that parents could work on quite a bit with their children when they're young, and it would probably really help them when they get to school. I'm just wondering why they might not do that, and I'm thinking back to a comment made by my uh, by my doctor. He said to me, uh, pain is easily forgotten, and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering whether parents had pain with maths and they've easily forgotten it, and therefore they don't think about three biscuits minus two biscuits is one biscuit and the idea of expressing that to their children. So how do we, how do we get that conversation happening with parents again to say, look, it's okay to talk about uh, proportional uh, or, or quantity concepts with our children. How do we do that? Well, I think we, there are books, you know, Stanislaus Hen's book, The Number Sense, is a very good book, but it really isn't written for parents as much as it's written probably more for educators. And I think that's the problem. I think we need to have more TV programs where the number sense is emphasized, more, um, more conversations with parents when parents are looking for advice on ways to work with their children emphasizing the importance of numbers as well as emphasizing the importance of language. Okay. So the other thing about this is that when we, when we present problems about mathematical issues, whether they be a maths question in a class or whether they be, uh, as you were saying before, something about time or quantities, a lot of, well, almost all of those problems really, particularly when they become high-level problems, are described with language and not simply numbers. What are the connections then between language and literacy and maths proficiency? So if you're, if you're better at language, will you be better at, at numbers and, and vice versa? That's a really, really good question. And neuroscientists are, are investigating that as we speak. There are 
the brain operates in networks. So we have language networks and we have math networks. And those networks are somewhat overlapping. So a great deal of number sense involves language. Um, but if you know a high-level mathematician, you also know someone who thinks in numerical ways without, without language. One way to think of it is math is a different language. It involves a different symbol system. And the higher level math you get into, the more, the more it's going to vary from, from language. So at early levels, or let's say mid-levels like algebra, we talk about math in terms of language. So we talk about, you know, you might have a problem of, I have $15 and pencils cost 25 cents a piece. How many pencils can I get for $15? And we're, we're describing that in language. And that's, that's kind of the math, the maths that you get through, let's say year five in school. But when you get into higher level mathematics, you're actually using much more complex symbols. You're using symbols of symbols and sometimes symbols of symbols of symbols, meaning that I might have an X that could stand for the numeral 5 in one situation and X might stand for the numeral 11 in another situation. And when you get into problems like quadratic equations or, or physics and formulas, the formulas stand for for underlying components of a problem which then stands for the problem itself. So you get further and further away from simple language into the language of math. Mm. And, and, um, and I think we probably all know mathematicians that you wouldn't want to spend a lot of time at dinner with because <laughs> <laughs> they can communicate their math concepts, but they're not their language concepts in social situations may not be as good. So, so they are separate systems to a great extent, especially the further you go with maths. So if there are, um, if, if there are two emerging languages in, as they become more complex, and I think I'm understanding this correctly, just, just for um, some, some idea of what's going on in the brain at the moment, what, what different areas are we talking about as, the, as those languages develop and emerge? Okay, so the network that's involved for, for language is the left hemisphere, and it's the temporal lobe and the frontal lobe. Um, and, there, and a big part of the left hemisphere is, is this temporal lobe, frontal lobe connection, the connection between sounds and meaning, and then the use of those sounds to communicate with others. Maths involves another part of the brain called the parietal lobe, which is the, the body sense part of your brain. It involves more right hemisphere as well as left hemisphere. And then both lang both language as we think of it, let's say the English language as opposed to the mathematical language, the more sophisticated you get with it, the more advanced you are into critical thinking skills and things of that sort, the more you go into the frontal lobe. So when I start using mathematics to solve problems of physics, I'm using the frontal lobe of my brain. And the frontal lobe of my brain, the prefrontal 
cortex is very important for things like solving no novel problems I've never seen before, thinking about thinking, the concept of critical thinking, and mathematics is often taught not just so you can be good at algebra or so you can be good at quadratic equations, because most of us as adults never use quadratic equations in real life, but mathematics helps us to think about problems that we're trying to solve and come up with novel ways to solve them when we don't know what the solution is. So, so mathematics involves a lot more right hemisphere and a lot and it gets us way up into the, our frontal lobe and there's okay. just some new research done on that okay now just so um well this this is audio podcast just so that i can add some imagery here to our listeners am i right in saying that the frontal lobe is the is the bit behind your forehead yes that's correct it is, is in the front yes. okay, okay all right so is that why you often see students resting their foreheads <clears throat> pardon me on their on their hands in maths class because that's where it's starting to hurt because that's where all the action's happening <laughs> it's possible it's possible okay. um, but the the more sophisticated you are in general in problem solving and thinking about thinking we call that metacognitive skills the more you're using your frontal lobe okay and I'm Sorry, yeah. I, was just, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining a whole new marketing campaign for pain relief here. So tar <laughs> targeted frontal lobe relief, especially for math students. Yes, yes, that's right. Unfortunately, the relief comes from being able to solve the problem. Oh, okay. So there's no magic pill for knowing the maths. Not that I know of yet, no. Well, there's an opportunity for research. I've had a question from a maths teacher uh, who says something like this. Students often struggle with the why of maths and the need for understanding the meaning behind the formulas, so working through the proofs. Which part of the brain recognizes this importance and how can we stimulate it? So, if, for example, if you're really just trying to tell someone how important it is to know the proof, is there a part of the brain that needs to know this importance? Wow, that's a really good question. And I would say educational neuroscientists are right now trying to answer that question. Um, there was just a paper published about three weeks ago on what parts of the brain do you use, let's say, when you're, when you're learning physics and you're learning the formulas of physics and you're learning how to use them and solve the problems. And, and neuroscience is studying this because... It's so important, not just for our understanding of, of education, but it's also important for our understanding of how the brain goes about this complex task. So, so I guess the answer is the more sophisticated you get in mathematics, the higher level the problem, the more problem solving that goes into it, the higher the symbol system, the better you understand it, as, as your maths teacher was asking. The more you really understand what's under, underneath it, as opposed to just going through a rote formula where you solve a problem and you don't really know why you're doing it, the more forward that information is going in the brain. And what differentiates human beings from every other animal is how big our frontal lobe is, how big that front part of our brain is. So you are actually driving the front part of the brain to, to grow. Teachers are when they work on understanding as opposed to just 
going through and, and learning how to solve a problem without even knowing why you're doing it or what it means. Mm-hmm. Okay, I suppose that explains why the dogs that I've had in my life have never complained about having a headache. That's true. That's <laughs> correct, yes. So when we're communicating with our students about proofs, is it just a matter of slowly trying to uh, move the conversation in that way and, 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 and persistence? Yes, and I would say that where where neuroscience is leaning right now is to actually devote time to why are we doing this? Why is this important and what does this mean? So actually, in addition to teaching formulas and teaching how to solve the formulas and teaching how to go through the proofs, keep reiterating why you're doing it. What What's in it for the student? Where Why is it important? What are the, what is the knowledge that we're getting from doing this? And try and make it as practical as possible for students so that they, it makes sense to them. So just to give one example, let's say, let's say that um, you're working on, um, a, an, working on geometry and you're asking students to have proofs for solving let's say the area of a of a of a circle for some reason if you can make that practical if you can say okay i need to know what the area of this is what are some times when we need to know the area of a circle when would that be important for us and maybe one student would say something like well you need to know it if you're got a big area that you want to plant with crops you need to know how many seeds you're going to use mm. so Every time you make it real, every time you give a practical example, you're, at least right now it looks like, building up this capacity of the brain to use this information to reason and solve problems. What I'm hearing then is that there's uh, almost like a full circle thing, if you'll pardon the pun, um, about coming back to language because to have that conversation with students assumes that you can freely communicate with them. That's true. That is true. That's a good point. Yeah. So this teacher also said that um, a colleague of his said, look, I'm not worried about the proofs. I just teach the formulas. I need to get on with it. Is there any, and that might sound controversial, um, is there any value at all in a formula-only approach to teaching maths? I would say that the science right now would lean against that, that what you're doing if you just teach the formula is you're teaching a habit that the student will forget as soon as that course is over. Whereas if you teach the understanding of why you're using the formula and what the value of it is, you're giving the students um, information that they will carry with them the rest of their lives to solve problems they, they've never seen before. So just to give an example, if I want to solve the problem that we hear, have here in the United States of climate change, we have California, one of our states is in a terrible drought, and we're trying to figure out what to do about that. I can't just know formulas. I have to really sit down and start to figure out what information do I need, where are we going to get the information, and how are we going to solve the problem. So, so that's where math is really important, and that's why we teach it. Sounds like there's uh, a lot of research coming out still? Yes, yes, still. 
Okay, well, that's very exciting, and I'm sure uh, we'll be talking about that again in, uh, in the future sometime. Dr. Burns, thanks for your time. Okay, thank you. You've been listening to the Learning Capacity Podcast, brought to you by LearnFast Australia. If you'd like to comment on this podcast, send us an email to feedback at learnfastgroup.com.au. To find out more about LearnFast, visit learnfasthome.com.au, where you can also subscribe to the blog. Until next time, bye for now. Bye.